Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. So, if, if the church was... A spiritual orchestra. <laughs> what would we sound like? <laughs> if the church was a spiritual orchestra, what would your part sound like? <laughs> um, anyone here ever had the experience of being in the school band? In that band? <laughs> yes. <laughs> a few people have been in bands like that. I was in a band like that, the Manly High School band. Uh, I was always frustrated at band. Uh, the politics of band as well. Ever noticed that in school bands? The politics that go on with school bands. You know, and particularly the bravado and the pr- pride of those out front. You know, those little ones with the pigtails that play like first flute, right? <laughs> Everyone wanted to be first flute or first violin. Uh, I was second trumpet, right? Yeah, second, second trumpet's a guy, if you're musical, second trumpet is the guy that when you, when you play in a song, you start your part in all the band with about 64 bars worth of a rest, right? You don't play for 64 bars and then it's... <laughs> For about two, and then you go back and you wait for 64 more. <laughs> but you know what? I, the thing I always take away from it is um, no band can work without a second trumpet. <laughs> At least I wasn't playing timpani. What about those guys? They're just, you know, unless it's that song. Every timpani player is hanging for that piece from, that we know from. Uh, 2001 Space Odyssey Yes, that's what, that was what that piece was What if the church was a spiritual orchestra? You know, we've been talking about the past couple of weeks About the comparisons that we make And it's so difficult as a second trumpeter uh, To make the comparisons of the first flutes and the first violins And all that they get to play And, and, and we make all of these different comparisons With those that are around us We've talked that We landed this simple idea in this series Is that uh, when we look around there is, uh, there is no win in compare I sin There's no win in comparison Because if you look around and you compare yourself There is always someone with a bigger er. Someone is richer and skinnier and taller. <laughs> and, uh, and, and when you start feeling really bad about that, then, then, then here's what we all do. Then, then we just look at all those who are um, fatter and uh, poorer and shorter so that we can feel superior, right? <laughs> uh, that, that's what we've been, been landing. But in, in all of those different descriptions, I think we've been missing a word. A word that we haven't looked at, a word that we haven't met mentioned yet and it's this word what about those that are holier Paul says in Romans 4 by the grace given me I say to every one of you that means Christians that means the church do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you we come into the church and we say, I could never be like them. They're amazing. They sing incredibly. <laughs> um, we can come into the church and say, they don't pull their weight. We can come into church and say, I wish I had their strength, their maturity. <laughs> we come into church and say, they need to get their life together. 
We come into the church and we, we see, oh, look, my past is too hard to overcome. We come into the church and we see people saying they'll never overcome what they've got to go through. We come into the church and we see I or they, I or they have been here longer. I or they are much more mature. I or they seem holier. I or they live better, live stronger, right? So here's the crazy thing. If Paul has to write this to Christians, could it be that the one place, for all that we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks, the one place where comparison is rife is inside the church? Many of you know this. Many of you feel this. Many of you have been burnt by church because of this. You see the way that Christians are constantly looking at one another within the church. And you want to know the crazy thing about it. Um, the church is supposed to be a spiritual orchestra. Woodwinds, brass, timpanies, flutes, violins, cellos, oboes, all uniquely, beautifully different instruments, all coming together for one beautiful purpose under the, under the great conductor that is Jesus Christ. So we're supposed to be different, says Paul, and yet we're constantly comparing ourselves, Right? We're all different, but we were supposed to be playing as one because, as Emily said to us last week so wonderfully, the great news about the church and about Christianity is everyone gets to play, even the second trumpets. <laughs> everyone gets to play in the church. You, you all have a distinct part to play. But here's, here's the tension. I don't think we live in an orchestral culture. I think we live in a karaoke culture. Right, and an orchestral culture, a collective culture, is about the well-being and the beauty and the power of the group. Karaoke culture, it's all about me. <laughs> it's 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 all about me up front. A karaoke culture is all about how do I look, how do I sing, when do I get my turn, right? When do I have my moment in the limelight? If I sing right, if I say right, if I do right, I might go viral. And then, and, then, and then I'll be known and I'll be noticed and I will have purpose and I have significance and I will have an identity. We live in a karaoke culture. Now, it's not just something that we pastors make up. Um, there's, uh, there's a whole bunch of research called uh, um, the, the Hofstede Insights. Take a look at them here. I just compared a Western culture to an Eastern culture. And Hofstede's gone and com compared uh, all of these cultures throughout the world in some of these big indicators. But have a look at number two here in individualism. In a scale of 100, Australia rates as a 90 out of 100 when it comes to individualism. China, on the other hand, 20. So you go through your mind. What do you, what do you think that that means for us? What, what, do you, what do you see in that? You know what I see in that? I see, I see one big giant mousetrap. Of individualism. That is that 90 is like the, the, the cheese that is baiting us into the comparison trap that says everything within our culture is about you. And when you're in an individualistic culture, it means that the individual is prime, and so therefore how you perform, how you work, what you look like, what you've achieved, that becomes everything for your sense of significance, as opposed to a collective culture where if my family or my group is successful, then I'm successful. See the difference? And what this does is this, this is this is the cheese in the mousetrap. It's constantly baiting us 
towards compare I sin. Remember I said it's a sin because sin is not good deeds versus bad deeds, but it's building your identity on anything other than God. And so we live in this culture that is constantly baiting us to do this. And so Paul's antidote to that type of culture, which it's, look, it's been around for years, but he says this, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to the others, and we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. That speaks right to the heart of our individualized Western culture that says our individual identity is everything. And Paul starts to hone us in. He says, no, 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 not, not in this new culture. This new culture called the church, this new culture called God's people, this new culture called Christians. Suddenly, you're part of a collective, which means this. It means simply that each of us need all of us. Each of us need all of us at a couple of different levels. The, the, the first one is that, that uh, each of us need all of us in order to grow. You're constantly hearing me ask us this question, but, but who is it around you that can, can see and dare to declare what is in between the shoulder blades of your soul? You, you can't fully grow, you can't be fully known if, if you can't see the missing bits of your character and the flaws and the things that can help you grow. And the only place that you get to do that is in tight, knit, close church community. So each of us needs all of us in order to grow each other, individually. You know, every me needs a we in order to be complete. <laughs> Some of you are probably thinking that if I don't finish in 20 minutes, but... Um, But, but you've, you see this too just psychologically. You look at you know, pri- prisoners, every me needs a we. Um, you look at what happens in solitary confinement. Study after study says people literally snap when they're outside, relationship with one another. Every, each of us needs all of us, whether you're in the church, whether you're in prison. There is something inherent to humanity, to the human condition. And we Christians would say because God created us that way. That we need to be in relationship with one another. So in order to grow, we need one another. But in order to win the world, we need one another. In order to win the world, you know, that word holier. Have you ever met a truly holy person? They're scary. (laughs) They're daunting. They're not very good for your (laughs) self-esteem. Because if you're real, like there is an element where it's like, man, in the face of hardship and trials, how are they so strong? In all that they're facing, and I see many people dotted around this room that are like this, by the way. Many of our great giants of the faith that typically sit over that side of the auditorium, right? (laughs) This is the beauty of a multi-generational mature church is you see people that go through hardship after hardship and they don't even get close to a swear word. It just, it's not in them, (laughs) right? Have you met people like that? Now, the challenge with meeting an individual like that is that they're daunting. And they're scary, and frankly, they can, they can put you off. But a corporate community, multiple people that are like that, that's, that's beautiful. That's different. And so not, not only is it beautiful or different, but, but also when we move into that community, it, it, it gives us something bigger than ourselves. You know, talk about creating an identity for ourselves um, and comparisons. Uh, you know, there is one demographic in this world that is absolutely immune to the comparison trap. They're absolutely immune to the eyes around them. You know who they are? 
four-year-old kids in Superman costumes. <laughs> Have you noticed that? You know, do a kid in a Superman costume like that? I, I, that's not aisle nine of Woolworths, chips and confectionery. That's, that's another tunnel to which we go down, to which we escape the great monster and to which I'm going to save the world. Right? And, and why, why are four-year-old kids in Superman or princess costumes never worried about all of the adults that are looking in and chuckling at them? Because their identity is inherently wrapped up into a hidden and a bigger story. Why then, Paul starts the passage like this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Paul starts this whole passage in saying, you guys have forgotten who you are. You're princes, you're princesses. You, you are part of a hidden secret story. This is not just a church. This is not just a building. This is not just Sunday. You're part of something way bigger than you could ever imagine and you've forgotten what it's about and you are princes and you are princesses who have been called by the king to go and unworld the world around you, to fight the forces of darkness around you, to make the world a better place. You've forgotten the story. <laughs> oh, you know, they haven't got their life together. Oh, I could never be as good as them. I don't have their spiritual gifts. Can you see how incongruent it is for us to think like that? Ephesians 2 says, You are God's workmanship, poema, poem, artistry, creation, created to do good works for which he has prepared in advance for you to do. You're part of a bigger story. C.S. Lewis says we, we must repent of our small ambitions. <laughs> you... you, you if you want to avoid the comparison trap, you get a big life. You, and you subordinate all of your things into that big life. I remember coming home, I was terribly upset about a, about an, a mark in, in, for an art project that I did. It devastated me. And, and, I, and I told my grandma, and, and she said, well, you know, at least you didn't have to peel potatoes nine hours a day during the war. Interesting way to start the conversation with a seven-year-old. I said, Grandma, you know, why, 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 would you, why would you do a thing like that? Why would you sit there and do that? And she said, oh, I didn't do it for me. I did it for the empire. And I said, you knew Darth Vader? <laughs> I did it for the empire. It's like half the room, only half the room knows what that means. The British Empire. I did it for a story hidden bigger than myself. I think my generation's missed out. I think why my generation's one of the most individualistic generations that this world has seen because we haven't been in situations where we have to live for something bigger and outside ourselves in this Western culture, right? So every me needs a we. Each of us need all of us. But... We're constantly comparing ourselves to those inside the church. There's no win in compare, I sin. And so the question then is, uh, how does this comparison affect the church? And when you look at Paul, he sets this passage up in, in almost sort of two, two axes of trajectory. There's that uh, an axis of a, of a level of engagement. Therefore, in light of God's mercy, consecrate, separate 
yourselves from what you're doing. Move in towards this community. That's that access there. And then he goes on to say, each of you have been given distributed gifts in accordance with God's grace. So there's this axis of engagement and then there's this axis of giftedness. And I think that's often where our perceptions of those around us really fundamentally lie in the church. Aren't we constantly comparing people with, um, on that level of engagement? How long someone's been here? Have they done their time? Um, how long have they been a Christian? Are they a really part of, uh, of the group? And then on the other side is uh, the giftedness spectrum. Oh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't sing like that. I couldn't preach like that. I couldn't, I couldn't do all the flashy stuff that's out the front. And so I want to show us how these two axes really play themselves out and how comparison destroys the church from the inside out. It creates four different mindsets, or really four different types of people that can exist within the church. The first one's this. The first one's the insider. They're the ones who perceive high giftedness and they're highly engaged. And the insider is the one that says, you know what, if, if I didn't do my thing, then the church would fold. <laughs> Anyone ever had a conversation with an insider? What would this place be like without me? Oh, hello, it'd be the church. Last time I checked, the force of God moving forward into the world, God's still going to do his thing. Hence why Paul then says, verse 6, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. An insider says, I've been here, I've done my time. An insider says, look at how much I give compared to they give. An insider says, it's been my turn, it's now their turn. And Paul says... Insiders, sober judgment. The gospel says every insider was once and always an outsider. And it was only because of me that I brought you in on the inside. So who are you to keep others on the outside? So it gives us the antidote for insiderness thinking in all of that. And insiders, whenever we move into that mindset, and I'm guilty of it myself, we have to remind ourselves that as insiders, by God's grace, as Paul says in the scripture, that the work is being done through you, not by you. The real work is being done through you. The work of transforming, changing lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's being done through you, not by you. You're partnering, you're facilitating God in that way. So in, insider thinking perceives themselves as high engagement, high giftedness. A minimizer thinking. A minimizer is someone who's got high engagement. Minimizers love the church. They love God. They love what's happening. But they've got a low view of their giftedness. They're the ones, as I've been saying, who go, I don't have what it takes. I couldn't do that. There's not a part for me to play here. And so they minimize their role within the church. And then Paul says to this, we have different gifts According to the, say the word, grace given to each of us. We all have different, different gifts according to the grace, to the level that God decides to gift us. So in many ways, uh, a minimizer needs to look at this and understand that God has uniquely crafted you to do things for his purposes. Ephesians 2 says you are as unique as a snowflake. You've heard me say it. If you're a person that is minimizing your sense of giftedness, there are hands only you can hold. There are conversations only you can have. There are beds only you can visit. There are people only you can reach. Don't ever think 
Because you perceive that your giftedness is less flashy, less out front, less visible than everyone else, that you don't have a part to play? God is sending this church into the far reaches and every crevice of every part of Sydney society. And he's sending you. Then you have the sideliners. A sideliner is someone who is high giftedness but low engagement. And a sideliner is exactly that. They're, they're, they're sitting on the sideline. The sideline. You know, they, they, they get it. They're incredibly gifted. But they sort of say to themselves, you know what, the church is really not going to notice if I don't play my part. <laughs> and a sideliner, you know, why, why is a sideliner a sideliner? Because they've forgotten the big picture. They've forgotten that it's every member, that every person is doing this. That every, they forget that we are in a spiritual three-legged race. <laughs> and everyone else is trying to move forward and they're just getting dragged along. <laughs> every member, says Paul, is responsible for the doing the work of God in this place. And so that's why he then says to the sideliners, So in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We're all attached. And so sideliners have a part to play. There's giftedness. That's everything that Emily said last week. Could it be that there are fields and fields and fields of buried treasure in this place? Not just a function of people who have minimized their view of their giftedness, but people who have not dug their giftedness out of the ground and put it to use like we heard Emily challenge us last week. And then the last one is the deniers. A denier is disengaged and they don't see their giftedness. And we, we often have deniers here in any given weekend that we have here at Northside. And I'm so glad they're here because a denier, a denier is not a bad person. A denier hasn't discovered yet that they are a superman, that they are a prince or that they're a princess in the kingdom. A, de, a denier hasn't heard that story of the gospel, that they, they are getting called into a big life. And so they think that it's about singing and it's about lights and it's about having to give you money and it's about having to turn up and they haven't caught the story. And Paul says to that then, therefore, in light of all of this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Not the lights, not the music, not the turning up. This, serving God, being part of the adventure, is what it all is. But here's the point, right? Each of us need all of us. Now, I don't know about you, but I, wrote, I rotate through those different modes of thinking at multiple points throughout not only my Christian life, sometimes through any given week. The thing that I was thinking about this week is that, look, we want to see more people more like Jesus. We keep saying that. We want to see lives transformed. We want to see God moving through this place incredibly. But one of the great risks as this place um, continues to grow and it, and it does slowly and we're thankful for God's grace and all of this, the greatest risk that as we grow as a church that we can hide our individual responsibility in our, um, in our corporate growth. 
that we begin to look at each other, that we begin to look on the inside, that we, be, we begin to compare ourselves to one another, that we begin to turn our focus away from God instead of looking in and, and, and seeing who we are first in Christ and then ultimately in those that we're going to reach. Comparison kills our mission. Comparison will always kill our mission. For if our focus is on others inside the church, then our focus is not on God and it's certainly not on those that he's calling us to reach. So, here's here's the question that can realign our perspective in all of this. I want you to ask yourself this question. That... If everyone served this week the way that I've been serving, would our church be advancing, retreating, or staying the same? That's the antidote to how we might hide our individual responsibilities within the corporate nature of all that is the church. All that is the church. Everyone plays. <laughs> everyone plays. So what does your part look like? What does it sound like? Um, every time we go out to Homebush, we go out there, Kristen always has to take us to these set of poles outside ANZ Stadium. They're quite obscure. You would never notice them when you walk around the Easter show. But we always have to go out to these set of poles for her to go and have a look. And once you get up closer to these poles, you see that there are thousands of little names engraved on these poles. Anyone ever seen these poles? These thousand, we have to go out to these poles and she'll wander around the poles and in and out of the poles and then she'll look up and down the poles and then, and then she'll, she'll, she'll fit, eventually go through and in alphabetical order she says, yep, there it is, there's my name, I'm there. And she, of course, she, uh, she, she was a volunteer for the Sydney 2000 Olympics. And so on those poles is all of the names of all of the volunteers of the Sydney 2000 Olympics. And so this is a, this is a totem, this is a... <laughs> this is a, 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 a reminder of the legacy of that volunteering. And what a legacy it was, by the way. Served people faithfully. Had to listen to Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. <laughs> About 153 different times a day. <laughs> There's a wonderful sense of pride and fulfillment when she does that. You know what? What are we doing here? I think there'll come a time, and I hope there is. I hope there's a time in heaven after all this work and all this stress and all of this anxiety and all of this joy and all of this fun and all of this hype of activity that we do here at Northside called being church. I hope that, that I, I, I get to a day where I get up to heaven and not the pearly gates, but the pearly poles, right? And Jesus, Jesus takes me for a walk and he says, I want to show you something to him. I want to show you, and he takes me over to the pearly poles, and, and when, when, when we look out at just, at just a multitude of, of people, of thousands and millions of people all worshipping God in unison together, in the great glory that is heaven, just Jesus and I in the quietness of these poles as we look out, and part of the, look out over all of to a limitless horizon of just people worshipping God, and he goes through and he finds my name. And he said, faithful son, you're a part of that. You're a part of that. Every part. Every part. 
no matter how small, has a part to play. What sort of legacy are you building now that could be reflected in those pearly poles when we meet him face to face? The church is supposed to be a spiritual orchestra. Can I hear that again? I've got to hear it once more. Does the Northside Orchestra sound beautiful? <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but, but every non-Christian, every friend that yet to discover God, I'm convinced that every friend and every non-Christian and every human being knows what that score is supposed to sound like. But whether or not it sounds beautiful is up to you and I. So what part are you playing? And what does it sound like? Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.